Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Welcome to the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. We've got Mike Lanana and John Manuel here to talk about some college baseball. This podcast, like all college baseball content at BaseballAmerica.com, is sponsored by Louisville Slugger, Power in Numbers, and we have a new Baseball America Top 25 this week to talk about. Uh, it looks a little bit the same at the top. Oregon State continues to roll right along, 19 wins in a row now. That's a program record, tied for the second longest winning streak in the country this year. But beyond Oregon State and uh, Louisville and TCU hanging out at the top three, things look a little bit different following that. We have North Carolina coming up to four following a sweep in Tallahassee of Florida State. We'll definitely talk about that. Uh, Auburn comes into the top ten at number seven, having beaten South Carolina. We'll talk about that. We'll definitely talk about that. And Oklahoma comes into the top 10 at number 9, having been Texas Tech. And I have a feeling we'll get to that one as well. Uh, So there's a lot that went on this weekend. Um, Also joining the top 25, we might as well get to that as well here. Uh, Long Beach State, Southern Miss, Mississippi State, and Maryland. Uh, Southern Miss and Mississippi State ranked for the first time this season. Maryland and Beach back for the first time since uh, the preseason rankings. Uh, But... I think that we all want to talk about what happened in Tallahassee this weekend. Uh, there was a pretty stunning sweep there, and I I don't know how surprised we are that North Carolina won this series, but the way in which they won it I, I think is pretty surprising. They go out, they win on Friday night with J.B. Bukaskis. That, that's happened a lot this season. Then on Saturday, Florida State's throwing a no-hitter into the ninth inning, and UNC finds a way to tie the game and then win it in extras, and then they win a slugfest uh, on Sunday in comeback fashion again. Mike, just what a what are you what are your takeaways from this weekend? My main takeaway is forgot <laughs> <laughs> about that. But yeah, you Where's know, it's, it's the entire you're, thing is the button. You're pressing a panic button for Florida State. Um, is that what you're doing? That's yeah, that's what I'm doing. Um, I think it's it's time to panic um, if you're Florida State right now, just because you look at their resume and you know we had a we had a tough time. You know, we kept them in our top 25, just given you know the, the talent on the team, the belief in the team that they're going to turn it around at some point. Obviously, Mike Martin's been doing this for a very long time. And, uh, Almost as long as it would take for him to speak that sentence. <laughs> he, he has, he's done this a long time. <laughs> but, you know, it was... Obviously, UNC was the hotter team coming in. They've played better this year. They have the better resume coming in. But to, to see a, a sweep at Tallahassee, you know, the first ever in program history for UNC, it's it was a little surprising, especially the, the way they went about it. You know, it was a... I, this was the series in the country this weekend. I, I tweeted about it. Um, I know you guys are already all following me on Twitter, so I'm, sure you already, so I'm sure you already read this, but just it was a series that I was watching closest just because it was a chance for both teams to make a statement. And both teams did make a statement, uh, a powerful statement for UNC about where they are right now. I mean, they're, they're looking like, you know, obviously number four in our rankings are looking like an Omaha team right now, whereas Florida State, the statement was, hold on. That was the statement for Florida State. So, 
Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. We're not making any silly jokes. I don't know. No, we're we're we aren't going to stop making silly jokes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, John, I mean, what do you make of, of the Seminoles at this point? It's it's, it's kind of weird to, to see this with them right now. I'm really flabbergasted. Um, uh, this was the opposite of beautiful baseball, because like you guys said, you lose on Friday to Bukowskis. Tip your cap, Bukowskis struck out six of the first nine guys he faced. You know, Florida State did adjust to a, to a degree, but, I mean, J.B. Bukowskis right now, outside of, I mean, like, it, it's a discussion between who's the best pitcher in college baseball, him or Brendan McKay. It's a legit discussion. Those are the two best guys. I mean, I'm just looking at the draft class, I suppose. I shouldn't go beyond that, but it's Baseball America. I've been, I've, I've, I drank the Kool-Aid 20 years ago. I only think of it in those terms. So, but the next two games, Florida State made 11 errors. I mean, Six errors on Saturday. And five on Sunday. Their their line score on Sunday was seven runs, six hits, five errors. That And North Carolina made no errors the whole weekend. So that's where that series was won. Florida State certainly scored enough, and they blew leads. Their bullpen, I think we all had questions about coming in this year. That was a question for them last year. They haven't answered that. But Florida State's... Uh, defense, I don't think we thought was a question. Now, Dylan Busby didn't play this weekend, shoulder injury. They still scored some runs. They suspended Taylor Walls, took him out of the game mid-Saturday, suspended him for Sunday and Monday, so no baseball activities today for Taylor, which most teams take Monday off anyway. So uh, the Monday suspension, not such a big deal. But that, uh, that's the part that just shocked me. Um, you know, the takeaways for North Carolina are that uh, a that they, you know, they still haven't figured out who their Sunday starter is. They tried Rodney Hutchinson that day, but that's a good problem to have. If that's your number one problem, you're in the you're in the haves. You're not in the have nots. Um, and Jason Morgan threw four and a third for them Sunday. He's their old Sunday starter. He did walk five, uh, but he only gave up one hit, one run. Um, Taylor Baum pitched on Sunday. That maybe he shifts from the midweek to the Sunday start. He's been a pretty solid midweek starter for them. Josh Hyatt pitched both Friday and and Saturday, went two innings on Friday, pitched back-to-back days, was still effective on both days. So there are a lot of positives for North Carolina. For Florida State, I don't know what the positives are. And, Teddy, their resume is startling, and it's, 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 it's the opposite of me. It's very, very thin. It's it's unbelievable. I mean, when when you when we when we look at teams, we oftentimes I, I'm constantly looking at who's your best series win, right? And I don't know who, but Florida State. You look at it; it's not just who's their best series win; it's who's their best win. Period. Like they don't they got swept by UNC, so they they don't even have you know the win there. They um, you know have lost twice to Florida in midweeks, including this week. They lost at Gulf Coast. Um, you know, they've just, most of the good teams on their schedule, they have lost to. And, you know, the, with where they are right now, it, it it's kind of hard to pinpoint, um, you know, the, their what best. What are they good at? <laughs> That's what it's hard to pinpoint. I, they're good at taking walks. That That is definitely what they're good at. On, on Saturday, they, um, one of their issues right now is that they aren't hitting. Like, if you look at their on-base percentage, it's just fine, like every Mike Martin team they're very disciplined and patient, but what they so they get on base, but at some point you either have to walk the bases loaded, which is difficult, or you have to you know you, you have to find a way to get hit. They had five hits on Saturday. They drew eight walks, but if you only have five hits, 
You know, you're not going to drive in runs. And if the other team isn't, walk, isn't making any errors, right. so that's the thing. So Carolina walked them, but they didn't make errors. Here's where you need to press the panic button, Mike. Is it, Florida State, this is from Corey Clark in the Tallahassee Democrat. <laughs> I can't talk over that. Actually, I can. Um, when Florida, in weeks when Florida State has played the Gators, one and eight. When they haven't played the Gators that week, 17 and three. I mean, the Gators are in their heads. I mean, they, they, <laughs> like, they have to be, just given the way that series has gone. But, you know, you, like, you can't, it's one thing to be, for Florida to be in, to be in your head when you're playing the Gators, but you cannot allow that to spill over to the rest of your week. It seemed like it is. And then you have this other stat that they've won 40 games in a row, 40 games in a season, 39 years in a row. That is beautiful. <laughs> but you look at the schedule, it's not bloody likely this year that they're going to win 22 more games. They've got a, we'll see them this weekend in person. We'll see the carnage up close and personal. With, it's, like a, it's like a loser leaves town series with them and NC State this weekend. Yeah, it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not great. I mean, two teams that we thought highly of coming into this Those year. Those you know, two top 15 teams coming into the year. Yeah. And Florida State also got Drew Mendoza back this week. That's that's the silver thumb, lining, yeah. and he went over ten. Yeah, uh, he had a, a, a totally empty weekend. Well, you know, so he comes back. Welcome to your welcome to college baseball, Drew. Here's JB Here yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. Then they've got Clemson. They've got at Miami. They've got Virginia. Uh, they still have to play Wake Forest, and they still have to go to Louisville. The easy easier part of their ACC schedule is past. I mean, except for maybe Miami, which is like the segue. Of that's the other team. These are these. This is like the ACC's football discussion ten years later, where ten years ago they expanded, they brought in Miami, and the whole point was Miami's in one division and Florida State's in the other, and they're supposed to play each other in the ACC football championship game. I don't think that's ever happened. You know, both those football programs fell off at about the same time. Um, Miami's more precipitously. Uh, Obviously, the Seminoles have fully well, recovered. They've recovered, since that no doubt. But Miami now sits at 5-7 and seven in the ACC after losing a home series to Wake Forest. First time they've ever lost that home series, correct? At, yes. To Wake and Forest? Only the second time ever that have they lost a series to Wake. And, uh, you know, the Deeks uh, are 8-4. and four. We were on the Deek train early. I think Mike was actually the engineer of the Deacon train. You I, might have built the freaking boiler. <laughs> You're I, like the boilermaker guy like in the, over in your cubicle. That picture's still there. Uh, I don't know. But. It's, like, it's, like, it's like Alan Dykstra come to life. It's a giant boilermaker dude running down first base. So I'm mixing my metaphors here. Yeah, it's... Wake Forest. Yeah, I, I trying to bring it back to Wake Forest. Yeah, I'm not really sure how to respond to any of that. But <laughs> what, Just what don't I, respond to it. But, yeah, what I will say is, yeah, I have been on the Deeks train. Uh, I have been... You know, again, if if you if you read my Twitter, which I think all of you do, I think it's been established <laughs> that everyone who's listening to this it follows me on Twitter... Uh, yeah, I've been on Wake Forest really since be the beginning of the year because it, it's a team that obviously, I mean, they lose Will Craig, but I think they're a deeper, more well-rounded offense than they were a year ago. And I think the more significant thing is their pitching staff is deeper. And you look at what Connor Johnstone did this weekend, for instance, a guy, he's he's not going to blow it by you with his stuff. It's 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 so-so stuff, you know, a mid-80s fastball, you know, a sinker, right. a sinker kind of guy. But he throws his second complete game shutout of the year. You know, shuts out Miami, you know, in Miami, which, 
even though it's it's a down year for the Hurricanes, it's still a tough thing to do in that ballpark. And then, you know, getting Parker Dunshee back, he's been, you know, he started off a little rough this year, a little mm-hmm. rough around the edges, but he's been getting back into form. And, you know, he pitched well this weekend. And, you know, Donnie Sellers um, got off to a really hot start for them this year. And then Griffin Roberts in the back end of the bullpen is a guy with a lot of helium, you know, as far as the draft goes. So, they're a really interesting team, and, and I'm interested to see how they match up with Louisville this weekend. Right. Um, you know, I think, obviously, you have to give Louisville the edge in that series uh, because it's in Louisville, and, you know, it's you look at... And it's the <laughs> They yeah, are that good. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, but I'm just curious to see... I'm not expecting Wake Forest to come away from that with a series win, but maybe they could take a game. You know, just curious to see how they match up. But Miami but, scored six runs the whole weekend. Yeah, which is impressive. Uh, I think it's it kind of reflects both on you know the struggles with Miami's offense right now, but also the growth in, on Wake Forest's pitching staff. Right. I mean, to me, Teddy, Miami, we, we both saw them last weekend and, and a little bit the weekend before against NC State. They scored 12 runs against NC State that weekend. They scored 11 against North Carolina. They scored six this weekend against uh, Wake Forest. There's really one week... All year, the Georgia Tech weekend that Miami scored, they had two double-digit game scoring games. They scored two runs the whole weekend against Florida. They even struggled to score a little bit against Rutgers. Well, they only scored three runs against Dartmouth. This is just a bad offensive team, and Miami has what is it a forty-four-year uh, regional streak? And I said this on the broadcast last week. I, Jim Morris is a great coach. He has a if you if you do a college baseball Mount Rushmore of coaches, which we did last week. There are three of them who are there. We talked about that. He has a claim to that, but they're twelve and sixteen this year and five and seven in the league. I know they have a little bit easier schedule going forward than they've had to this point. But who is in the bigger risk of of not making the NCAA tournament? Is it Florida State or is it Miami? I think you think it's Florida State. Well, okay, so I know I am not ready to press the panic button. Don't do it, Mike, because I'm not ready to do it <laughs> on Miami because you know I do think I did it anyway. <laughs> I do what I I do what I want, Teddy. <laughs> I do think Florida State probably is in a better position to make the tournament. Um, they have a winning record, for instance. Uh, yes. that, and that's that's a main that's, that's a start that's a that's a good start starting point, um, but their I their expectations are higher. Their expectations this year were to be a national seed, and that yes. is probably flown out the window already. Miami's expectations were lower. I, I know the expectations at Miami are forever going to be win a national title, right. but more realistically, they were. You know, we didn't rank them coming into the year. It's hard. It was hard to see them as even a potential host. So I think they can still make the tournament. Their RPI is sitting at 76 right now. Oof. It's not good. It's not good enough to do it. But you know, their next two series are Duke and at Pitt. And they have Florida State at home, BC, Bethune, Virginia, Virginia Tech. It's, Most of these series are very winnable. It's, much, it's a much easier road to, ho- road to hoe or road to hoe. I'm never sure what the cliche is. They have a much easier schedule ahead of them, in my mind, than Florida State does. And they only go on the they road do. for nine games or ten games. Um, and one of those is FIU. Which one of them is FIU. Three of them are Virginia. But that means they have six on the road against BC and Pitt. And while those two may not be huge RPI bumps, although Pitt is top 100 right now, 
Um, they are going to be potential, that's the potential for road wins, which is hugely beneficial in your RPI. And just collecting any wins right now is going to be beneficial to them. I really would not be surprised if this team pulls itself together in the second half of the season, gets itself into a decent enough shape uh, to, to get into the tournament, particularly because they're playing in the easier division in the ACC. Outside of Carolina, and I think we still think Virginia is very good, even though they're only 5-7 and seven in the league, uh, outside of those two teams, the rest of the Coastal is very much up for grabs. Yes, uh, Virginia Tech and Pitt are sitting there at 6-6. Six and six. Um, you know, Georgia Tech's at 4-8. and eight. They're not out of it, I wouldn't think. And Duke's at 5-7. and seven. I mean, any one of those teams could probably put it together. And finishing third in that division may very well be enough to, to get you into the, the tournament this year. It's stunning to me that, like, that Georgia Tech, I understand that Tristan English uh, injury was significant, but they've lost all four ACC series. They're 1-2 in every series. Um, Duke lost a home series this weekend to Pittsburgh. That's not what you want. Um, so kudos to Pittsburgh. Virginia Tech is kind of the interesting kind of team in there. But you know, that Louisville-Wake Forest series coming up this weekend, that's 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 compelling theater because you know, Louisville keeps on you know, doing it, 24-3 uh, and three overall. And I just kind of like the fact that they've, they've been challenged the last two weekends, um, you know, losing Friday in NC State last weekend, still coming back to win the series, um, getting pounded on Saturday by Virginia, coming back to win the series in a tight game Sunday. Uh, there's a little they have that kind of just that ability to pull out some of those wins, and obviously Louisville's kind of on this. Uh, I don't know if I can say redemption. It seems like it's that word is reserved for North Carolina basketball, but I, I think there is a little redemptiveness for these upperclassmen at Louisville of the last two years having these really talented clubs that fell short in super regionals. Um, you know, I, I, there's a little motivation it feels like for them, and obviously a big test for Wake Forest is going to have to go on the road. Um, and Louisville's played a challenging Louisville's schedule already at home this year, so that's it's a very difficult place to play. It was extremely difficult place to play last year. I think they only lost one home game in the regular season last year. Yeah. So Wake Forest really has its work cut out for it this weekend. And Louisville's only got their road series left in the league are Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, Clemson. So Clemson, the second to last weekend of the season, uh, that should be fun. I would imagine that Louisville and Clemson will be fun when they play each other this year. Um, I, I was afraid that you were hitting the panic button on Louisville for a second. I saw you <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, no. I'm, I'm, I like to keep it close because you never know. <laughs> well, I was going to say, uh, we were in the SEC. I don't think anyone in the SEC presses the panic button yet. No, I mean, there have Other been... Than maybe Tennessee, I guess. Well, Tennessee's sitting there at 1-8 uh, and eight in the league. That is not great. And Alabama at 2-7. and seven. But beyond those two teams, I mean... <laughs> Sorry, a little delayed there. LSU, uh, LSU is uh, you know coming off of back-to-back uh, series losses. It was a stunning loss on Saturday uh, against a and Yeah, come from a head loss, basically. Yeah. Like, how could we lose this game? Oh, I'll find a new way. It was... Uh, it, it was... Uh, it was see Mike. <laughs> Mike just threw my pet across the room for absolutely no reason. I didn't even criticize Wake Forest today yet. Uh, but LSU, the, you know, the... And that was a big, like, Texas A&M to they keep from that. panicking yes. for their season. That was huge for A&M. Yeah, that, it definitely was. I mean, to, to get that walk, it wasn't a walk-off because it, it was in Baton Rouge. I mean, but to get that, that ninth inning home run was, it, it was critical. And, and LSU, now with the loss to Florida and then the series loss to A&M, now they face Arkansas, which is sitting atop the SEC West, tied with Auburn. Um, you know, that becomes a very, very big se- series this weekend at Baum. 
But speaking of division leaders in the SEC, yeah. So we have Kentucky leading the East at seven and two after beating South Carolina, or no, totally after, after beating uh, Ole Miss. And then in the West, we have Arkansas and Auburn at seven and two. Auburn having beaten South Carolina in a stunning walk off ninth inning, three run pinch hit home run from Connor Davis. It was his first career home run. That was crazy. It was it's unbelievable, and they're now five and one against Florida and South Carolina this year. It's really strange that the top records in the SEC are Arkansas, Auburn, Kentucky. That's just that I don't think that's ever happened. I asked this SEC on Twitter uh, last night. Who? Because you're uh, all following Teddy. Yeah, I mean we're, we're all following Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean we've already discussed that at length. I mean I think it's pretty clear that that everyone is following me, and I'm sure you're all following me. Um, Maybe. Maybe? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I thought we established last week my Twitter game was better than yours. No. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever thought that. But anyway, um, so I asked uh, last night, who's the bigger surprise SEC division leader, Auburn or Kentucky? And you can throw Arkansas into this. At the time I tweeted this, Arkansas hadn't finished their win against Alabama. Um, but neither one, Auburn was second to last in the SEC last season. Arkansas was dead last, right? and Kentucky was better but missed the tournament, uh, has a new coach in Nick Mangione, uh, and has to deal with you know the trio of Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and Florida in the East, even if Vanderbilt looks to be down this season. So the people on Twitter, we have 240 votes. They have Auburn 55%, 45% for Kentucky. Um, I think right now I agree with that, um, just based on Auburn's schedule. But if this were to finish that way, if they maintain this throughout the rest of the year, I think I would flip it, and I would say Kentucky, just because you're dealing with Florida and South Carolina in that division. And those two teams, I, even though they lost to Auburn, like I still feel like those two teams are, are pretty pretty good. It's just shocking to me, because I feel like Vanderbilt's still pretty good. They haven't really, again, like they pushed Kyle Wright to Saturday this year, this weekend. Started Patrick Raby on Friday. He's been outstanding all year. He gets hit hard. Uh, it's not like Jared Kendall's not performing. He's got 10 home runs. Does that lead the SEC behind it Rooker? Does. Or yeah. is that, is he, is, he is ahead of Rooker. One ahead of Rooker. I mean, you know, so one of their stars has performed. We know we, they have multiple options uh, on the mound. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned that, they're, that they've struggled. I'm a little bit less stunned, I guess, just looking at the schedule for like Florida and and South Carolina. They've played some tougher schedules, but which is more sustainable? I guess which is one's bigger surprise. Which is more sustainable to you guys, Auburn, Arkansas, or Kentucky? It feels like Auburn's gotten two of those uh, tough series already out of the way. Going in the other division, having to play South Carolina and Florida, winning both, and if they get Keegan Thompson back. That's more of a pitching and defense team. That feels like they're a little bit more sustainable to me than Arkansas and Kentucky. Maybe I'm I'm reading too much into it, Mike. Yeah, well, looking at the schedules, I mean, Kentucky's upcoming schedule is robust. It's yeah, you could. That's one word to use for it. Um, another word you could use for it is, but <laughs> that's not a word. It's it is a word now. Um, I mean, this week alone, they're playing Louisville midweek, and then they go to Mississippi State, who obviously is coming off a, a big sweep of Ole Miss, and then still still have a series against LSU, still have to go to South Carolina, yeah, and then they finish at Florida to to end the regular season. So that's that's a really tough slate for Kentucky. 
you know, in terms of sheer talent, I like Kentucky the best of, of those three. And it's a team that, you know, we had discussed potentially as a top 25 team coming into this right. year, but just with the, the questions with the coaching change and, you know, starting three guys who don't necessarily have starting experience that, you know, there were some questions there, but I like their club, you know, they've got some arms, they've, they've got really a, a balanced lineup and, and, you know, they're really hitting well and swinging it well. Um, and Justin Lewis has been really good for them on the mound and, uh, you know, Zach Logue is a really dependable starter. So I like them, but they do have a, a tough slate. Um, for sure. So, you know, it might be more sustainable for Arkansas and Auburn. You bring up a good point that Auburn obviously has gotten those series out of the way. Seems like Arkansas, Teddy, is the most offensive of these three teams. Um, maybe the, I wouldn't say the least athletic. Uh, my impression of them talking to a scout about them is that they're not, it's a more of a physical club, an older club, uh, power oriented club than a classic Dave Van Horn athlete you know a guy athletic a, a team with a lot of athleticism that plays with speed on the bases and defensively they are hitting a lot of home runs that that has continued um yeah 37 home runs to 17 for their opponents is that's a lot in these in this, this day and age of college baseball yeah no doubt and i mean they're averaging more than five runs a game in the sec um that's good you know they, they are producing offensively and they kind of need to right now i mean they're a little banged up on the mound themselves um, and, and have been all year. Uh, but Blaine Knight has, has been incredible on, on Friday nights for them, and, and that's been big. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, both of the – again, just Kentucky having to still play, you know, what the, yeah. the schedule they have, it, it's going to be difficult. Um, the SEC West is much more open still. Um, I don't know – Maybe Auburn and Arkansas will be able to separate themselves, uh, but but to this point, you know Auburn might have the easiest schedule of the group. They have the entire SEC West still to play, and Tennessee is their only crossover opponent left. Um, you know, I it's going to be interesting to see how how these teams close down the stretch um, because you know the it looks like it's going to be pretty tightly compact the, the right. whole season. I think I think most of these teams are pretty bunched up in terms of talent I, I don't know that anyone's truly gonna gonna separate themselves to me it's pretty you know, just, just even yesterday pretty huge for Arkansas that you know you're on the road Alabama is kind of down coaching change there as well it's not a top tier SEC team right now um, but you're on Sunday it's a rubber game of a series and to score three runs in the ninth and to hold on to that uh, Tacalini was good for them again the bullpen he seems to really have taken to that role um, like you said, Knight's been really good. I'm just impressed that you know that, that they're finding ways to win, and you do have a first-year head coach at Kentucky uh, in Nick Mangione, a second-year head coach in Butch Thompson at Auburn. You know, this is not Dave Van Horn's first rodeo. Uh, he's been to what Omaha five, six times between Nebraska and Arkansas. Maybe he's the X factor, the separator between these three programs of which is sustainable. Uh, to keep this going forward. And then nip it on their heels, other six and three teams are South Carolina and Mississippi State. But it's amazing to me how the SEC just kind of like flattened, you know. It's harder and harder to have a great team, it feels like, in the SEC. There's so many good teams. It just seems like it's harder to dominate, whereas the ACC doesn't seem like it ever has that problem. It always feels like there's a team in the ACC that's going to win 24 conference games, you know. I mean, because there are still teams at the bottom – when, more often than not, it's BC 
or Virginia Tech or Pittsburgh. But the geographic imbalance in that league usually means one of those cold, if not two, of those colder weather schools are going to be, they, they can be had. That just doesn't seem like it's the case in the SEC. And I mean, uh, I guess Tennessee and Georgia have to be counted as kind of kind of perennial doormats right now. It's hard to hard to put that tag on a team, but um, that, that seems like that might make it a little bit easier for the South Carolinas, Virginias, Vanderbilts to dominate. I mean, you have to go all the way back to 2013 to find a year where the SEC was won with more than, like, 21 wins. And that was Vanderbilt, Andy, right? Yeah, Vanderbilt won 26 that 26 and 4, okay. 26-3, they missed a game. That was a, good, that, that was a good regular season team, and they lost in a Super Regional to Louisville, if, I, if memory serves. Yeah, but since then, we've had a bunch of, like, I think 19 wins. Right, like 20, tw- I was about to say, between 19 and 21 wins – in the league, that seems like the max, you know, of, of what's going to win you a division. And that's kind of where they are again. That league, is, it's, it's really amazing to me. I mean, they really beat each other up. There's incredible pitch and talent in the league. And the coaches say it all the time, but it, it really is true. There are no <laughs> off weekends. There's no real chance to catch your breath. Even when we talk about, like, oh, you know, Alabama, they're 2-7 and seven in the league. They, they aren't that great overall this year. New coach, all the rest of that. They still almost beat South Carolina in right. Columbia last weekend and could easily have beaten Arkansas this weekend. Like, the, no one's going to roll over for you, and they're going to, you're going to be facing talented teams no matter who you're playing on any given weekend in the 10 week stretch. And the other thing the ACC has that the SEC doesn't is there is a bye week. Right. And most of those teams do not schedule difficult in the bye week, understandably so. Uh, but the SEC that doesn't exist. You don't you don't get a chance to Take to a either te- either have a whole weekend off to, for finals, which is difficult on its own, or to you know play a, a lesser team. Uh, you know, like I looking at Florida State's schedule earlier today. You know, they play Pacific, which is right. you know a nice team and all, but they're also you know a sub one fifty RPI team. Yeah. Right, it's Pacific. It's not an SEC team. Let's uh, let's transition to the Big Twelve real quick because I, I think you have to get your panic button handy, Mike. Is it time to push the panic button, Teddy, for Oklahoma State? Because this is another preseason top 25 team, Omaha team last year. I mean, one of the things we, in the SEC that stands out to me, some of the fourth-year players or players who were drafted, like an LSU that has three guys in Poche, Freeman, and uh, uh, Dykeman who were all drafted last year, didn't sign. It's a, they're all totally different team with those, two, with those three guys. Two of the better college bats in the country draft-wise and Poche – has been especially a lifesaver for them with Lane's early struggles. Oklahoma State seniors have been banged up a little bit. They seem like they miss Donnie Walton as much as we wrote about him last year. Maybe we should have anticipated that, how good he was to them. They were so good defensively up the middle last year with Thoreau and Walton and some of the betters they had there. Uh, what's going on with the Cowboys? This, this year's team, 16-11 uh, and 11 overall. I mean, part of it is they, they had to play TCU. They got swept. They lost two out of three at home. I know West Virginia is good. They lost two out of three at home to West Virginia in March, March and April. That that that's a series you should win. The earlier you play West Virginia, the better your chances. Uh, are you guys worried about West about uh, uh, Oklahoma State at all? I'm worried to a certain extent, but these next two weekends they get K State and yes. Kansas, and they need to make hay against those teams. But if they do that, you know they're right back where they you know at that point they they should be right around 500, and then it beefs up again with Texas Tech and Texas and back-to-back weekends. and So if they can build some momentum the next couple weeks, um, you know, I, I think they'll be in a, a 
an okay spot, and then we'll find out for real uh, when they go to Texas Tech. Uh, but it's not good. What, what the, where they're at it's right now is not good. I mean, they're one and five in the league, and um, you that the Big Twelve is definitely tougher this year. It's the yeah. number one RPI conference, but you know you, you can't afford to fall too far behind in that in that pack. Yeah, I mean, what I would say about Oklahoma State is, you know, I think losing Trey Cobb for the first, you know, month of the season, uh, they have him back, which is, I think is big for them. But losing him really had um, a snowball effect on the rest of the pitching staff. And I, I think having him back is going to be important. Slots of them back into the roles that they're yeah, best suited for. Yeah, so I think, I think that's going to be helpful. Uh, you know, they've had to figure things out from a position player standpoint, obviously, because they've, they've lost so much there. You know, Garrett Benge is having a really nice year for him, uh, for them, a guy who, you know, always had the tools and the hitting ability, and, you know, he's really kind of coming into his own this year. You know, it, I, they, they remind me a little bit, I mean, it, kind of last year's team, too, started really poorly, you know, really struggled early on and then was able to, to put it together so no down the stretch. You know, I'm not going to press the, the panic button right now because, you know, I, I do have I do have some cautious optimism with them that they can put it together. And they, they do have enough pieces there, especially from a, a pitching standpoint. How, how for real do we think uh, West Virginia is? Because West Virginia has, it's only, they're only 15 and 10, but they have a very robust RPI. Randy Mazie, it seems like he does this every year. West Virginia always feels like an overachiever that's always on the cusp of the regional, uh, you know, race. Like he's, it's a deeper, better league. It feels like this year. I mean, like they had three teams in Omaha last year. That's unlikely to happen again, just because that's really hard. But it does feel like they are trending toward more than three teams getting regional bids this year. Absolutely. I mean, I think West Virginia is for, re- for real. I think the league is for real. Uh, you know, I said this a couple weeks ago that, that Jim Schlossnagel said he thought every single team in the league was better. I must have pieced out that podcast before you <laughs> said that, which uh, has been my want in recent weeks. Um, and, I mean, there's a reason why they're number one in RPI, because these teams are all going out and, and winning non-conference games, and, and yeah. now they'll be able to feed off each other. So I, I think West Virginia, I mean, I think we have to take them as for real because they've won two conference series to start the year, both on the road. They went to Baylor. They went to Oklahoma State. They have they have four wins from those two weekends. Um, that's not easily done. That is, I mean, that's tough. And, you know, they so they still have, um, you know, some tougher series to come. They have, but they get both TCU and Texas Tech, and Oklahoma for that matter, they all go to Morgantown. So, you know, if you can find a way to win one of those series to go 4-5 and five or 5-4 five and four in that stretch, I mean, you're going to be in pretty good shape. And that won't necessarily, that won't be easy to do, but if they can just do that, you know, what they've already built here with these right. four early wins, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. And, I mean, the conference as a whole should be looking at five or six bids into the into regionals this year. Um, certainly at least four. I mean, they should improve on the last two years when they only had three. Um, you know, it's, it's a better conference. Their RPIs are better. The teams are better, and, and that should be rewarded at the end of the season. Well, one of the teams that's better, that certainly has improved, is Oklahoma. We've talked about their scheduling, their odd scheduling this year. But again, the resume-wise, series win to start the year against Long Beach State, what they did this weekend like at home against Texas Tech kind of rallying from 4-3 down, winning that game, walking them off in the, uh, on Sunday. Uh, seems like Oklahoma's for real too, guys. And 
kind of none too soon after some of the struggles they've had the last couple of years. It feels like they've kind of found their their stride. Uh, I don't know if it's found their stride under PQs or just maybe this team has found its stride. Uh, they seem like they have they can win with power. They can win with some defense. It seems like a, refor- a resourceful bunch. Yeah, I mean they're they're a team. I think we were unsure what to make of them for the first two weeks, just because the the strength of schedule. You know, other than that, that it was training, rando. It's a very it was, rando schedule. Yeah, it was. So it was it was tough to really know exactly what to make of them. But I think you know the deeper they go, and now that they're starting Big Twelve play, I mean it, it's a team to obviously fear in the in the Big Twelve. I mean starting off with you know back to back series wins against both Baylor and Texas Tech is. You know, I mean, because Texas Tech is, you know, as good and as hot as any team in the country coming into this. You know? Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore, <laughs> but a, a team that, you know, had won 10 straight games and really, you know, hadn't really done anything wrong, you know, right. to this point, which is why they're they're still, you know, at this point ranked higher just because the resume is so strong with them. But, yeah, I mean, that, that I think this, this weekend was a really impressive statement by Oklahoma. Teddy, it seems like Oklahoma's just – Depth of bullpen just seems like every game I check, I mean, it's just a different guy. And they're not afraid to go to their bullpen early. It just feels like they have a lot of different – again, they, 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 they can beat you with their starting pitching. They can beat you in the bullpen. I have to admit, I, I know nothing about Stephen Gingry. He's having an insane year. He has better numbers than Brendan McKay and J.B. Bukowskis, but because he's not a huge draft guy. Well, I mean, he's only a sophomore, yeah. um, but like I think Luke Heimlich even has better numbers than Gingery. Gingery has been incredible uh, for Texas Tech. Luke Heimlich has maneuvered his way up the draft list, and I will always make that joke. His, he, uh, he made what, like one? He, I think he gave up one run on Friday night, and his ERA went up. Like, went I'm up looking for, at Texas Tech stats. I'm sorry. I'm not uh, about no, him. Luke Heimlich uh, gave up one run in a complete game effort. Which is brutal for him. And and, you know, his terrible. ERA went like up by a tenth of a it run. Went, it went from 0.42 to 0.52. <laughs> so I think, honestly, I You've mean, seen him good. if that trend continues, I didn't see him at his best when I saw him. Um, but if that trend continues, I think Oregon State's in trouble because if his ERA keeps going up by a tenth of a run, I mean, it's it's about to be one. But so eventually it'll get to one. <laughs> yeah, so I you know I don't know if they're going to be able to handle that as a team. But, I mean, I, I we, we really like Texas Tech and what Gingery Oklahoma and did to them are – what Oklahoma did to yeah. them is, is stunning. Well, and so Oklahoma does that without Jake Irvin. It's ace. They've, he's been banged up the last couple of weeks. Um, and he was incredible to right. start the season right. himself. They are a team that – I mean, they – we talk about a lot of teams mixing and matching. They don't have a pitcher, including yeah. Jake Irvin, that's thrown more than 31 innings. It's it, ridiculous. It's an, opens a bunch of guys. It's just a whole staff effort. They've got a lot of talent there. We've liked some of these recruiting classes that, that they've brought in in the last couple of years. And a lot of them, a lot of, there have been a lot of good arms coming in. But they ha- they're doing this without r- truly relying on anyone for any extended period of time. And they have a team ERA of 269. Uh, I mean, like, you look at, they have a lot of guys with double-digit appearances. There are six of them. Uh, J.B. Olson leading the way with 17. And uh, most of those guys are, are they're just coming out of the bullpen, and, and they're really getting the job done. And I think what, um, what Oklahoma is able to do in terms of mixing and matching and just whole staffing it, I mean, it, it's, it's impressive. And, uh, I mean, I don't... I don't know whether that's a more sustainable thing than say what Florida's doing with right. its you know three horses. I, I don't know, but 
it's fascinating to watch while the Sooners give this a go. Yeah, Olsen and Barry have been, they just have sick numbers out of their bullpen. I know that Olsen is the guy that when I've flipped on uh, Fox Sports, I've seen him at the back of their game. That's like, oh, the game ends really fast. This guy's on the mound. 10.3 strikeouts per nine for Oklahoma staff overall. That seems sustainable. You know, that's that's a good trend uh, that you can keep going. But I'm 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 a little bit worried. I guess I would say for for Oklahoma State, I'm more worried than you are, um, Mike. Just because I, I don't like it's just hard to do that year in year out to kind of dig yourself that hole and dig your way back out of it. You mentioned also Texas, uh, Teddy. I think we thought that Texas had kind of been trending in the right direction. Um, still in David Pierce's first year there, uh, still off to a pretty good start, but. We'll watch a little bit of them this weekend, and just again, you're supposed to make hay against the Kansas schools, and to lose on the road at Kansas, not you know, not not ideal. We'll see them uh, Red River rivalry this weekend. They're back home against Oklahoma. They really need this weekend. They they need. I think they need it in a bad way. Um, coming off of that series loss at Kansas, it's a big rivalry. Like this would be. You know, they've already been A and M this this year. Uh, they got swept by Texas Tech. It, I know that that Texas Tech UT is not a huge rivalry or anything, but it would be big for them if they could, you know, go out and, and make a statement against Oklahoma, uh, and it would be big for them in terms of just getting back on track. I know you said big, so I'm, I almost feel like I'm contractually obligated to talk about the Big Ten now. <laughs> so since you said big, we did bring in some of these new teams. Let's wrap up the podcast by talking about the teams that we brought in at the back. We have a Big West team, Long Beach State. I mean, Mike, did you have – we sent on our personal top 25 last night. I didn't have Long Beach in. Did you have Long Beach in your 25? Well, I forgot to send mine. But <laughs> in my in – my... Where's the button? <laughs> Please hit the button. You're going to have to hit the button now. That was just a metaphorical button. Um, but, yeah, no, I had, I had Long Beach State in, uh, in mine, just because – Granted, they are six and the sixteen and eleven. Six and eleven, obviously, they would not be in our top twenty-five. Yeah, they would be tall, but they wouldn't be in our ranking. Uh, but yes, but uh, I, I didn't have them in. I I, I had them in. Just I was be- wrong. Just because you know you look at what they've done over the last couple of weeks, I think they've finally turned it around. You know, they got off to a difficult start this year. You know, dropping that series to Oklahoma, which now looks like a better series loss. Right. Um, given what Oklahoma has done, but you know to, to and then the Arizona State sweep, right? Well, that that was sticking in my craw. That, that is too. that's inex that's inexplicable. Like like I said last night while I was making Beach's case, like Which I you made well, I I have no answer for that. But since then, they've they've been yeah. very impressive. You know, they've got that sweep against Fullerton in the non conference series, and then they opened Big West play this weekend with uh, a series win at UCSB. And, and while Santa Barbara has struggled this year. They've not struggled at home before I mean, this weekend. Right. And I mean, you know, you look at the Big West, Cal State, Fullerton, UC Santa Barbara, and Long Beach, you know, in my opinion, and a lot of opinions are the top dogs in the conference right now this year, just in terms of talent and obviously in terms of where we had them ranked coming in. And you have Long Beach State, you know, winning series against both of those teams, yep. you know, sweeping Cal State, Fullerton, taking two or three against UC Santa Barbara. And then, you know, they win the series at North Carolina earlier this year, which is very loud. Keeps looking better so, week after week right. after week. So in terms of sheer record, you know, 16-11 doesn't look great, but you look at the, the quality of wins that they have, and especially the, the way that they've played um, over the last couple of weeks. I mean, they're red hot right now, and, 
you know, they're a team that, you know, again, a team that we liked in the preseason, a team that we had ranked, and I think they just got off to a so-so start, but they're starting to put the pieces together now. They're actually leading the Big West in RPI. Their RPI is better than Fullerton's. They're yeah. 12, Fullerton's at 20. The rest of the conference is sub-100, which is... I'm really worried about that, Teddy. I was just about to ask you, this looks like a two-bid league. It does. Um, That's not I, good. We thought... You know, coming into this year, we had three Big West teams in the top 25. I talked about this being the year of the Big West, and uh, that all looks very overheated right now because I don't know that these that some of these teams are going to be able to recover from an RPI standpoint um, because unless they go out and, and they beat Fullerton and, and Beach, right. I don't know where they're, you know, there are buys in the Big West, so some of them, because they are such aggressive schedulers, are going to have opportunities. For instance, Irvine has Oregon this weekend. Um, but they really, the teams that aren't Beach and Fullerton are really going to need to take advantage of the times, whether it's midweek or when they play Fullerton and Beach, that they play teams with, with decent RPIs to be able to climb back into the discussion at all, or they're going to have to go out and win the Big West. The team that I thought was going to be the sneaky one was Northridge. When they go and they win a series at Vanderbilt, that really got my attention. They won three out of four against Purdue. It seems like, like, and then since then they've lost seven out of nine. And somehow they have the worst RPI in the league. And, I, and that's the thing is because they've lost to, to teams like Wazoo and uh, Towson. You know they lost a couple games to Towson, and then they lose at UC Davis. This isn't 2008 UC Davis. You know Ryan Royster's not walking through that door. I have to share that I still know a player, but they're all from 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just stunned me a little bit to see the RPIs in that league. I guess I shouldn't. I should almost be just as worried about the Pac-12. You have the number one and two RPIs in the country right now on WarnNolan.com are Oregon State and Arizona, and then you have one other team in the top fifty, which is Oregon. I mean, Stanford's right around there, and Stanford's played fewer games because of their exam, so the Cardinal will catch up. But I, I don't. I don't like these trends for the West. The RPI always undersells the West. I think because it's so much harder. For the West, just sheer number of midweek games, you got to travel more. Those kind of things aren't taken into account. There's just fewer programs. But the, the, the mishmash that is the Pac-12 right now behind Oregon State, it's like it's hurting the league. I will say that the entire league is in not only in the top 100, they're in the top 90. Yeah, it's um, amazing. No so triple digits. They are going to, like, because there will be that many top 100 wins for them, some of these teams, when they start separating themselves... Uh, will will push into uh, the top fifty? I assume. Um, you know, we you got Oregon saying they're at forty nine, Stanford at fifty one, and, and UW at fifty eight. Um, you know, the, those teams can all push that high, and um, UCLA is at eighty seven and is heating up. And if if they can get, you know, continue to build some of this momentum, I mean, they're saying they're in second place, three games off Oregon State is the number two team in the Pac twelve. You know, I, I think they'll be fine. But in general, I don't think this is going to be a huge year for the Pac-12, but nor do I think it should be. Um, I don't think that the West is as down this year. I don't think the Pac-12 is as down this year. A sub-500 team is not going to win the Pac-12 this year. <laughs> but you know, when you look at some of these teams, you know, okay, you have Oregon State, which is elite. Arizona, we have in the top 10, sure. Stanford, we still feel good about. Uh, Washington, I think we still feel okay about. Yeah. UCLA is kind of demanding that, and Oregon are both kind of demanding that we pay attention to them. But the rest of the league, um, Wolf. I mean, USC has been mi- very mixed. Cal somehow got off the mat to get a big 
Um, I guess they, they swept Washington State, but Washington State now looks pretty poor. Arizona State has been stumbling around all season with the rumbling, exception of rumbling, that stumbling. with the exception of that beach series I, I really don't know what what to make of ASU and uh, you know Utah is um, you know sitting at 12 and 13 overall and uh, you know they won a nice series against Oregon if they can you know maintain that somehow uh, build off that somehow maybe maybe they'll turn into something but the bottom half of this league looks very um it looks I'm, like it could be had. Yeah, they I mean, it could be had. They, they don't look bad, but they also don't look like tournament teams. So, you know, I, I don't think that uh, this is a league that should be, should that, that would merit seven, eight bids. Right. You're, are you pan- Who's panicking? Arizona State? They should panic. But I mean, the I don't think we had league. high expectations for Arizona State. <laughs> yeah, just the, you know, just the bottom of the league. And I also just hadn't pressed the button in a while, so I had the <laughs> I, itch. I, I feel like UCLA, like, missed an opportunity, Teddy, because they... Win on Friday. Griffin Canning's going to do that. Had a scout at NHSI this week tell me. I, I said, hey, you know, uh, Griffin Canning, I've got him toward the back of the first round on this mock draft. I said, you know, I had a scout tell me it was three or four 55 pitches. And he goes, oh, he's got at least one plus. And then he starts going through it. He's like, hey, you know what? Come to think of it, I've seen him with four pluses this year. Not in the same game. But Griffin Canning, you know, uh, is a, a true ace. They moved Moses, uh, Moises, is it Seda is his last name? Seha. And moved him into the weekend rotation. He pitched into the sixth inning and pitched well. Um, At some point, Jake Bird will come back. Right. So then you know they have options. And to me, the real question will be with all these young guys, all these are starting, Stumpf and Creedler, and uh, if Idens is playing, Sean Bouchard's hit very well this year. He kind of gives them a a fulcrum for the offense to kind of pivot around. The rest of these freshmen keep adjusting and get better as their first year goes on, or does the rest of the Pac-12 figure them out and, and uh, kind of reduce this offense that you know seventeen runs on Sunday was? Well, they've scored. Nice way to finish. They've won seven of their last eight, yeah. and um, in that stretch, and they've put some huge yeah. numbers. They, the only time they've scored fewer than eight runs in was that Saturday. stretch was Saturday, and they scored four. Like this UCLA, t- like, we're used to UCLA not scoring runs to right. the pitch and having to carry them. But you know maybe this is a product of Cal and Arizona State's pitching not being that great. But you know they're finding a way to score runs right now. They dropped nine on Fullerton in a midweek, um, and if that continues, this UCLA team can be very good. That's what I'm saying. I love their offense because I love the athleticism and the dynamism of their freshman class. Can those guys sustain it? If well, this do, next three weeks is going to be critical. They, they yeah. A uh, very good San Diego State team on Tuesday. Washington, Stanford, Oregon State. There's another midweek against Beach in there. That is huge for them. After that, it thins out a lot. They go back to playing the, the bottom end of the Pac-12. But if they can survive these next three weeks, or better than survive the next three weeks, uh, you know UCLA is going to be in a very good position. I feel like between UCLA and Stanford, these, are these two teams are right around 500 overall. Those two clubs are the, to me are the key, like because I, I think Oregon's going to sustain this. I think Arizona, Oregon State, obviously we have the kind of those teams. I guess it's, you have to you have to lump in uh, UW into this. UCLA, UW, Stanford. If all three of those teams can finish well in Pac-12 play, this could be a six bid league. And you know I feel like it should be five or six bids every year because it's the Pac-12. But it feels like they have that capability this year. Um, I don't. I don't. I'm with you. I don't think they're going to sneak in a seventh team. Maybe USC gets hop. I don't. I don't think that highly of the Trojans myself. But it feels like those other three teams we're talking about. If you know, if they play up to their capabilities, 
this should be a pretty robust league. Now we didn't bring any uh, we didn't bring any of those teams from the Pac-12 in. I got off of the Big West first. I mentioned the Big Ten, Maryland uh, coming into the league. What was Maryland start one and five, and they're like seventeen and three since then? Yes. What's what's the quick key on that, Teddy? How they turn things around so fast? Well, part of it is that uh, the schedule thinned out. Part of it is they went home, and part of it is that they just were better than their one and five start. That you know we we ranked them twenty fourth coming into the year. I mean, we like their talent. Uh, we like their pitching staff, especially their rotation, and I, I think the rotation has really, really been a key for them. Schaefer, Bloom, and Blom uh, have have LLC. Yeah, they, they have been. Uh, like they have been very, very strong on the weekends. And you know, last week they beat Michigan uh, two out of three, and this week they sweep Rutgers. And uh, you know, sweeping Rutgers is not you know the biggest deal, uh, but Rutgers is uh, sitting there with a the top 100 RPI, right. and if that maintains. Uh, the Maryland gets uh, you know three really nice wins on, on their postseason resume, and you know we still like Michigan. We had them ranked before that Maryland series. You know they're they're still sitting there, kind of just outside the twenty five. And Minnesota's off to a six and zero start. They've won their last nine games all on the road. Right. And uh, you know the Gophers last year won the Big Ten regular season, kind of in a in a surprising fashion. Um, and, and you know they're rolling again this year. So. The, the top of the Big Ten, and you throw Nebraska in, where Maryland is headed next weekend, um, and even Indiana. I mean, it's it's a good-looking top part of the league. The rest of the league, I'm not as sure about, but um, you know what Maryland has done has been impressive, and you know so they, they move back in uh, here as we uh, really get into the meat of the, the Big Ten season. I, I like uh, I like the top of the league, like you said. I was pretty intrigued by Minnesota's nine-game win streak and. Uh... And the schedule that Minnesota has played, I, I don't think they really. But like I said, it, it's like Maryland was higher in our pecking order coming into the year. They had that series win against Michigan. Feels like that, uh, you know, made more sense to rank them at this time. But that, I feel like all three of those their teams, resumes are pretty similar when when you look at. It. I mean, they have the exact same record. Their right. RPIs are separated by like three. Right. Um, you know, they, it's it's all pretty close there. Um, you know, I don't like Minnesota's series loss to Missouri State uh, particularly, um, but. You know, we're, when we're nitpicking here, but right? I mean, exactly. Minnesota and Michigan are, are, are pretty close to the twenty-five as well. We are we are picking at nits. Um, well, the other team that we brought in, we brought in Mississippi State, but we already we had plenty of SEC talk. Mike, you can read all about them and off the bat. Too. Yes, you should take us out though with a little Southern Miss as the other team that we ranked. I mean, Conference USA again is pretty tight at the top. This is a very old team, as usual. The good Southern Miss teams have a lot of seniors. Um, I know that they. Thought very highly of Dylan Bordeaux coming into the year. He's got six home runs. He, you know, he has eight stolen bases. He's and he's not even. He was the guy they pegged as their top uh, offensive force coming into the year, and he hasn't even been that. Taylor Braley was like a bad body guy, but could really hit. He's got eight home runs. Well, and Matt Walner. Yeah, yeah Matt Walner's got nine home runs. Nine home runs for him. Um, the the and they they even have a draft prospect because uh, it's Kirk McCarty, the left hander. 88-91, really good breaking ball, left handed, starting to. He's probably going to be in the cusp of that top 100 uh, updated draft top 100 the next time we do it um, this team seems like it's not just good for Conference USA they seem like they're potential regional host if they keep this up and I don't know Southern Miss seems like they're kind of sneaky good to me yeah well you mentioned Arkansas earlier about their their home runs allowed versus home runs they've hit I yeah mean, Southern Miss has hit 44 and they've allowed 18 <laughs> So that'll do. That'll do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Conference USA. It's, it's very strange to, to pull up the standings and see Rice at the bottom there. 
um, at, uh, at 9 and 21, but that's probably a podcast for another day talking about It just rights. makes me sad. Um, but, yeah, no, they've certainly been impressive. I mean, them and Old Dominion, we, we discussed possibly ranking Old Dominion this week. And, uh, Shout out know, to the Monarchs. I, yeah. mean, <laughs> real, I mean, I'm really yeah. impressed by them. I mean, that, 22 and 6, they don't have a losing weekend yet. They uh, finished off the weekend against Charlotte with back-to-back shutouts. Um, I think Charlotte it was 23 hit. scoreless innings yeah. to finish that series. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you, you look at, at what Southern Miss has done this year. I mean, they, they just beat, you know, Mississippi State um, in a midweek game uh, a couple weeks ago. You know, coming off a, a sweep of, of Western Kentucky, uh, beat South Alabama midweek, um, took two of three from Xavier, which was a regional team last year. I mean, really, their only, their, well, their only series loss is to Louisiana Lafayette, and that's not a bad series loss. Sure. I mean, it was on the road, too. It was on the it's road. like a battle of gumbo pots, basically. There. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. So, you know, the, they play midweek against Ole Miss this week, so that'll be that'll be interesting to see how they Coming off there. a sweep to Mississippi State, are there uh, yeah. uh, uh, as, uh, other new entrant into the back of the top Magnolia State, uh a lot, of, a lot going on in the Magnolias. Was that, is that the Egg Bowl in football? Is that what it that is the is? Egg Bowl, yes. I don't know yeah. if, they, if they do something for that for baseball. I'm sure they do. They I don't call need to. all of the rivalries by their football names, and I really don't care if uh, if I shouldn't because I they're all awesome. Okay, I think those make sense. Do you know that Clemson and NC State have a football rivalry and they play for something? Did you know that? I did not know that. Mike? I did not know that. It's called the Textile Bowl. That's I will the most say, random one. The I, ACC has some really random ones because it's ACC football. The Big Ten has the most trophies. But they have the and best they are ones. All, well, yes, they are awesome, but some of them are ridiculous. Illinois plays Ohio State for an Illibuck trophy, and it's a turtle. I don't... I would imagine that the last time Ohio State lost that one was like whenever Earl Bruce was there. No, um, Juice Campbell, I want to say, was the quarterback's name. It was like in like a... Oh, yeah, the dude for Illinois. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was interesting. I remember him. How about like the axe? Who plays for that axe? Uh, the Paul Bunyan axe is uh, Minnesota, Minnesota Michigan. Michigan. That's cool. All their stupid trophies are stupid in a great way. Like, yes. Like old rando traditions. Egg Bowl probably has an old random tradition. It had, well. Oh, the there is an Egg Bowl trophy um, for the football teams. I don't know that Mississippi State got anything for uh, their their win this weekend. Other satisfaction than, uh, and probably some uh, free beer. Yeah. Well, and they uh, it was quite the weekend for for Mississippi State. I know I know Mike wrote about it on Friday in the roundup with uh, you know the the women's basketball team going to uh, the championship game and. Well, it might be a, somewhat of a sore subject today since, well, they, today, since yes. they lost to South Carolina. But well, it was... Ray Tanner is certainly excited about it with the Gamecocks. You know, they, I yeah. had to bring out. I, I love to imitate Ray. It's one of my favorite series to do. Um, so I'm going to do it. It's yeah. like an air siren for you. It was a it was a fun uh, women's basketball championship game. The two athletic directors are the two baseball coaches. Baseball that's coaches. right. When you, when you look at it, I mean, we we a lot of times people talk about you know how coaches in general, whether they're football or baseball or basketball, you know that they don't make for great ads. Well, right. here here are two. Uh, I know John Cohen just got this job, and I don't think we can give him too much credit for uh, for the women's basketball team success. He probably success, got Dad Prescott there, though, or he probably helped. You know? Yeah, but I mean, so the, those uh, those two, you know, going out and uh, uh, you know having having some success this March. Yeah, the American uh, the American Conference a little bit disappointed. They didn't get that guaranteed national championship they were thinking they get with UConn women's basketball. But that is by far the most women's basketball talk ever <laughs> on the Baseball American College podcast. This I can say for sure. But a lot of change in the poll this week. A lot of stuff you guys have uh, going on. Uh, Teddy, what did you have already? And off the bat, I enjoyed your NHSI Remembrances also on Friday 
on on campus. If you don't already read Teddy's on campus, that's just you got to read that. That's appointment reading for me for college baseball. Uh, what's an off the bat today? Uh, Mississippi State uh, and how they uh, kind of have seemingly found their stride the last few weeks, and uh, Old Dominion, which uh, again, like we like we mentioned, is off to a very impressive start to the season. I'm uh, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Old Dominion. I keep a little eye on that. A, little, a lot of Jersey uh, pitching in uh, college baseball. We've talked about Luca Delatri on this podcast, but John Wilson, the little crafty left-hander out of I think it's Huntington High School. Uh, I think I got that with one extra syllable. It's like Old Huntington High School. It's some some Brando High School in New Jersey that he's from. That guy deals though. He could really, really pitch. He's off to a great start. Seven scoreless yesterday. Yeah, just a fresh, but little lefty, crafty freshman who goes right into the weekend rotation and has pitched very well. Conference USA, I think, looks uh, just looks competitive again. So, thank you for letting me be here for the entire podcast, guys. I'm so excited. I made it through <laughs> uh, 50 minutes or so. Back to back pods, upset city. It is impressive. And uh, we we thank Mike for the uh, the panic button, which I'm sure he's <laughs> going to press again here in a minute. <laughs> I'm glad you have it on low. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I'm out. That'll take us out. Thank you uh, to John. Thank you to Mike. Uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll be back here next week with a new Top 25 and uh, plenty more to talk about in college baseball. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.